I'm Dave Rubin and joining me today is a congressman for Ohio's 4th District. He serves as the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee and is a co-founder of the House Freedom Caucus. Congressman Jim Jordan, welcome to the Rubin Report. It is good to be with you, Dave, and uh, thank you for what you do. Thank you for fighting for freedom and, and, and First Amendment liberties for our, for everyone. And we, I mean, the country appreciates that, so uh, good to be with you. Oh, well, I appreciate the kind words. I uh, can bounce that right back at you. You were one of the leaders, especially, I think, on the big tech stuff, fighting for free speech and free expression and keeping the government and big tech out of every little facet of our lives. So actually, let's, let's start right there. Sure. Big tech. Well, I'll give you the broad question first, and then we'll get into the specifics. Yeah. Big Tech, what do we do? Do you want to regulate? Do you want to break them up? Do you believe competition is enough? Is it all of those? Is it none of those? No, it's 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 all of those and probably some more. I mean, I, I do think you got to get rid of the liability protection, the so-called Section 230. You got that, that's a, that's a start. Uh, then I think you have to give, and we have we have a series of of, of, of they'll be in bill form soon. But but ideas we're talking about, get rid of 230 private right of action, like t big tech makes some moderate uh, content moderation decision about you. They got to tell you why there needs to be some trend. Why'd they do that? And frankly, if they do it and, and like DeSantis did in Florida, if you're a candidate for office and they do those kind of things, there should be a right of action you have to hold them accountable. So that's something we're looking at. And then frankly, I think, you know, Justice Thomas has, I think, more than hinted that he wants to address this issue. Um, and talking about big tech and the power they have. So what we're also looking at doing is speeding up the antitrust uh, actions in our court system so it gets to the Supreme Court and we can get an answer. After all, the Trump administration, both the FTC brought an antitrust action against Facebook and the Justice Department has brought an antitrust action against Google. And we'll see how that all shakes out with the Biden DOJ. But I think that's where it has to focus versus what the Democrats are talking about doing, which is just giving more power to the FTC, which I think would translate into um, big government colluding with big tech to further uh, stick it to conservatives. <laughs> right, which is pretty much what's happening already. On, on the 230 point, uh, my audience is, all, they all know about the difference between yeah. platform and publisher and all that. The pushback on getting rid of 230, which I'm basically for getting rid of it, so I think we're, we're pretty much lined up there. The pushback, though, is that if you get rid of the protections, that basically all of these platforms, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, et cetera, that they will have to censor more because they'll be worried about the liability. What, what, what would you say to that? A legitimate concern. There's also the concern that, you know, they're so big they can handle the the the, uh, the 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 lawsuits that come when they do censor people and versus the competition that we want to, to, to have happen. But I just think the fundamental issue is, look, if they're if they're making publishing decisions, editorial decisions, they're not supposed to have the liability protection. And that's we know that that's what they're doing. So I, I think you just have to look at the sort of the fundamental question and say, OK, you're making those editorial decisions. You don't get the protection. And then and then 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 go from there. But that's why I think you also need the other things I talked about um, to actually address this. Uh, again, what what concerns me most is in an effort to deal with censorship, we have we have people embracing this idea that, oh, we got to give the government, the the bureaucracy, the agencies more regulatory power. And I just think that's a mess. And frankly, we just saw this. We just saw this with Jen Psaki, the spokesperson for the president of the United States. I mean, think about what she said. She said big tech um, are now where so many people get their news, i.e. 
They're the press. And so she said, we are working with the press to stop certain information from getting to we, the people, the American people. That That is a direct violation of their First Amendment freedom of the press uh, uh, liberties we have. That's scary. And they got some list of 12 people who they said are putting out misinformation. So there's that, that sort of fundamental question. I think that's what's what the concern is, is that marriage of big government and big tech, I think only means conservatives get it worse. When you hear Saki say something like that, her actual, the word that to me was the, where the real bell went off was she said, we flag content for Facebook. Yep. The yep. implication is we're doing it together, right? We're flagging it for them. When you hear that, do you ever go to your Democratic counterparts and go, guys, look, we may not agree on tax rates, we may not agree on abortion or blah, blah, blah but I thought we at least agreed on First Amendment stuff. Do they do they take that meeting? Do they take that call? Uh, they used to. I, I don't know if they would now. And frankly, my, my, I have my, um, I'm skeptical they would now because it has gotten so, so partisan. And we've had a number of Democrats, some of them on, on the Judiciary Committee, the committee that's supposed to safeguard the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, and, and, and Americans' fundamental uh, rights and liberties. We, we've had so many of them cheer on big tech when they censor conservatives. So it's not the same. It used to be that you could work with, I mean, I always make this, this uh, tell this story. Dennis Kucinich, former member, is a friend of mine. I mean, I talked to him on the phone a few months. I just texted him yesterday because I saw him on a, on a clip on, on Tucker. Uh, Dennis is an old school liberal who says, let's, let's make the best argument, let's have the debate. And he was with us on civil liberties, but that's not where today's left is. Today's left is authoritarian and you're seeing it from the spokesperson of the president of the United States in the White House uh, briefing room. So it, it's a different animal today. And again, I think that's why you're so concerned and I'm so concerned and so many Americans are about what's really happening to our freedoms. Yeah, you know, Dennis Kucinich is actually a perfect example. When he ran for president, which was, you know, probably 16 years ago, something yep, like that, yep. he was the furthest left Democrat at that point. And basically the only people who will talk to him now are Tucker and, and Fox News. They would never put well him said. on CNN well at this said. point. And he was a champion of civil. We we were on the oversight committee together when Democrats had uh, power back when Demo, uh, when 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 Dennis was in Congress. He chaired this subcommittee. I was the ranking member, and when it flipped, I was chairman. He was ranking member, and there were issues where we could work together. Typically, they were civil. Like we we were both concerned about facial recognition technology and how law enforcement might use that to to violate our. So we could work together, and when we didn't agree. He was a true liberal, like, let's have the debate. Let's have get your best hold, make your best argument. Let's see who wins. After it's over, we'll shake hands and we'll get ready for the next issue and have the debate. That is so different from what we see today where it's it's so the 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 vitriol and, and going after people and the canceling and everything else, it is a completely different animal. I, I long for the uh, for the people like Kucinich, like Dennis Kucinich, who's a good man. And, and believes in so many of the same things we do when it comes to civil liberties, different on policy. We're, we're miles apart on other policy issues. But, um, you know, we need more of that, frankly, in the United States Congress. I think I've asked this question to every congressman or senator that I've had on, and I'd love to know your take, too. Do you know when, do you have a moment or was there a person that you can point to when the Democrats really went off the deep end with this stuff, when it was, okay, no more talking, no more negotiating, you guys well, are all bad guys, Nazis, whatever nonsense they're yeah. throwing at you. Do you remember when it happened? Well, I mean, I would probably point to November 8th, 2016, when Donald Trump got elected president, because we know what President Trump, uh, an individual, by the way, who I think was did, did an amazing job as president, did more what he said than any 
than any president, certainly in my lifetime, uh, accomplished so much with relentless uh, attacks from the left and the, and, the, and the Democrats and the media and, and frankly, too many Republicans and still got so much done. Um, but I think it probably started then. Now, it, there may be something else, but the first thing that popped to mind was the day he wins election, Democrats have been you know, going after him and continue to do so now five years later. Yeah, and then of course there's that moment when Rashida Tlaib, the night she got sworn yeah, in, saying yes. she was gonna impeach yeah. the guy years yes. ago, years yes. ago. Yeah, I think and you that, have to have a crime before the guilt, right? If I'm not mistaken, right. I'm, I'm a simple guy. Yeah, but then we also learned, I mean, you, you think about it, that we learned that the FBI was spying on a presidential campaign. Like, that's not supposed to happen in our great country. A major party's political or, or presidential candidate, their campaign was being spied on by the other party's Justice Department, i.e. the FBI, Jim Comey. I mean, that's scary. And and so you, you talk about, you, you know, all the misinformation. It's funny, too, because this is the other thing I take away from, from Jen Psaki's comment. They're the ones identifying misinformation. Well, how many times have they been wrong on that? Over the last four years, they, they, they told us the protesters were peaceful last summer. They told us that Republicans defunded the police. They told us the dossier was real. They told us Trump colluded with Russia. This, Bob, Bob Mueller did a $30 million investigation, said that's not accurate. They told us Trump cleared Lafayette Square uh, for a photo op. The inspector general said that's not true. They, they told us, how about this one? Hunter Biden was Russian misinformation. Holy cow, we had an eyewitness, Tony Bobolinsky. We had actual documents, the emails. We had a laptop and we had the FBI investigating it, but somehow was Russian misinformation. I mean, time and time again, every major story they told us was misinformation. They lied to us about it. And now they're the ones telling Facebook, oh, you got to take down misinformation. That's frightening. If I could add a couple to your list, Brett Kavanaugh's a rapist, yeah. the Covington yeah. kids, Jussie Smollett. Oh. I mean, the list, the list goes Rape. on and on. Rape. So as you are seeing Saki say, okay, we're flagging things for Facebook, or her other one last week, which was even worse in a way, which was if you're banned from one social media site, oh. you should be banned from all, as if that has anything to do with her, with what her job is. Um, I mean, are you shocked? Like, I think, I, I'm not shocked, right? Like, I've been doing this for a while, I've been sensing and yeah. warning about this stuff, but I think a certain amount of people are like, you know, that voted for Biden because they had whatever their aversion was to Trump and the tweets yeah. or whatever, but I think a certain amount of people actually are shocked right now, like how out of control this thing feels. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Dave. You're not because you follow it and you know all these, these issues so well. Um, and, and frankly, most of us in, in elective office who've been here uh, uh, you know, for a few years, we shouldn't be shocked either because we, we saw the trend. We saw the IRS target conservatives. We saw what the FBI did to with the dossier and with the Trump campaign. And we saw what they did with. So we've seen all this sort of progress. So it, it, it it's still frightening. It's still scary. But we sort of kind of saw some of this coming. Um, but I do think there are lots of Americans who are very nervous about what they see happening to liberty. I talked with them in our, I was back in our district last week talking with with supporters and, and people. They're, they're very nervous about what they see and how many times have you gotten the line from someone who follows you, you see them at the airport or something, they come up to you and, and they'll say, I'm really nervous about our country. Can our country, because oh, yeah. they, they love this country. They love the flag. They love what our country stands for. They love the people who sacrificed for our country and, 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 and liberated the country and took on the Nazis and everything. They love all that, appropriately so, but they are nervous, very nervous, very concerned about where the left wants to take us. And um, that never used to, that didn't happen 15 years ago in politics, but now you, 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 I get that every, every time I'm traveling to an airport. Right, there used to be a basic agreement that America was fundamentally good, and then it's like, okay, we can argue from a liberal yeah. perspective or a conservative. Now, uh, now it's, in essence, should this thing continue? But backing up to the big tech stuff for a little bit. Yeah. So, so breaking them up, 
let, let's talk about that for a little bit. W what does that actually look like? Like you want Amazon basically to have their server farm, you know, AWS as a separate company than say the consumer facing side that we all, you know, buy our toilet paper on or that sort of yeah. thing? What I think should happen is we have historically done this. We got a hundred years of antitrust law. We have historically done this through the court process. Now, that is a slow process. I would like to speed that up because I see the danger of big tech and I see you know, what we just talked about with, with the government pressuring big tech to do certain things that the government defines as misinformation. That's, that's dangerous. So I want that process speeded up. But what I don't want and what makes me nervous is, because I think it would be a worse situation, is to, instead of having it go through the court system, is to move it over to the regulatory commission. Because right now at the FTC, the people who run the FTC are radical leftists. Becca Schlatter is a member on the FCT, uh, FTC commission. She has said we should use antitrust law to deal with systemic racism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you and I would say, no, we shouldn't. And 100 years of, of antitrust law says, no, we shouldn't. So that scares me. Lena Khan, who's the new chairman of the FTC, who, by the way, when Biden nominated and put up for nomination from the Senate, didn't tell the senators, which is historically the way it's supposed to work, but he didn't tell the senators that he was going to make her chairman. Guess where she worked before she went to the FTC as chairman? She, she worked for was, Facebook or something, right? She worked there, but more importantly and more recently, she worked for Jerry Nadler, David Cicilline, Hakeem Jeffries, <laughs> all the people who were the impeachment managers who put together these bills. My guess is Lena Khan wrote the bills that give all the power to the agency she now chairs. I don't think that's a good thing for Dave Rubin, who believes in the First Amendment, and, and Jim Jordan and the folks I get to represent. So that's my concern. Let's let it work through the court process but let's do it quicker because as bad as it's getting and the, and, the, and the pace that big tech is going to limit our freedoms, I want I want an answer soon. And I think Justice Thomas is with us. My guess is the court's with us because they got to be – Amy Coney Barrett, Justice Alito, they got to be concerned with what they see when the press secretary for the United States president steps up at, at the White House briefing room and says we're working with Facebook to take down people's posts and take down information. So you basically see the judicial branch, I mean, in essence, the Supreme Court, because that's where this probably ends up. You, you see that as the last firewall, right? I mean, at that point, if nothing else works, and to your point, if, you're, if the whole uh, middle branch of government, you know, if the, if the congressional branch and all the regulatory people, if they're all compromised, yeah. it's judicial or nothing. Well, but we could do something legislatively, but frankly, we're not in control. I mean, yeah. right now, the Democrats have the House, they have the Senate, and they have the White House, and they're going to have the White House until President Trump runs and wins in 2024, which I hope is what's going to happen. Oh, I think bold, it's happen. bold. So, so you think uh, he's doing it? You think he's doing it? I, I, I do, and I, I've encouraged him to. I, I'm, I mean, I, every time I talk to him, I, I encourage him to run. Um, but the, 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 the truth is we can't change anything right now. So all we can do is what you do. We can highlight every time they're infringing on Americans' liberties. And I do it at every speech I give, I, all across our district, all across the country. Every time I'm out talking, I talk about uh, – I just go to the First Amendment. I said, think about the First Amendment. The liberties you have under the First Amendment, every single one of them has been assaulted by government over the past several years. I mean you, 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 your, your right to practice your faith, your right to assemble, your right to petition your government, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, every single one. I use the example um, – when I uh, when there there's still churches today, Dave, that that probably well, my guess is in L.A. County, there are probably still churches today that a full congregation can't meet on Sunday morning. And and, and a few weeks, this is probably now, what, eight, nine, ten weeks ago. I spoke to think about your right to assemble. I spoke to the New Mexico Republican Party 
in Amarillo, Texas, because they had to go to Texas to get freedom. They had to go to Texas to be able to assemble in the size they wanted to assemble because their Democrat governor wouldn't let them assemble more than 149 people in the state of Mexico, in New Mexico. So that's crazy. But and on and on it goes. So I think I think this is this is the fundamental issue. And, and I mean, scares me to death, scares me to death. So to that point, how concerned are you that just nobody trusts the system anymore? That That's sort of where I'm getting, which is, you know, that's what the kids call black pill, that you just think that the thing is so broken that nothing could be done. And I always try to put a positive spin on all this stuff and I wanna do solutions, of course, that's, that's why I do this. But I think a lot of people are just like, you know what, I don't trust the medical experts because of lockdowns and masks anymore. I don't trust the politicians who say one thing about elections when their guy's in and the other the other way. Like that, that the whole system, it, yeah. it only works if we trust it. And, and a lot of people just don't trust it anymore. Yeah, and I'm very concerned about that. And it's um, when you have, and again, I think most of the blame, frankly, lies with what with the left. The left is, 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 has attacked every institution we have. And frankly, let's just be honest, the left controls almost everything, right? The left controls big media, the left controls big tech, the left controls uh, Hollywood, the left controls higher education, the left controls big corporations, the left now controls big sports. I mean, just watch the NBA, right? The, <laughs> I don't the, watch the NBA yeah, anymore. Right. But the, the, the left controls the Congress right now, the left controls the White House. The one area they don't control, and this is, this is the beauty of our great country, the one thing they don't control is they still don't control individuals. We the people still have individual liberties, individual rights so we can think for ourselves and express ourselves and speak out but they're even trying to stop that with the whole cancel culture. So, and, and finally, maybe the one institution that they still don't control is state and local government. And that's why what, what uh, DeSantis is doing in, in, in Florida with the Florida legislature, what they're doing, they're pushing back in our federal system. That's how the founders, and God bless these individuals put our system together. There are not only checks and balances with the separate and equal branches of government, there's the federalist system where the checks and balances also come from the states. And that's where we have to fight back now. And we're having some governors who are doing it. And I think that's giving um, some more courage to other governors, particularly other Republican governors, to step up and act like DeSantis is doing in Florida and push back on the crazy left and, and, and the policies they want. You mentioned they control the media too. How much of your day-to-day -day is just uh, pushing back on just the crazy stuff that the media says about not only you, but just Republicans in general, you know, obviously a bunch of racist homophobes and all that nonsense. Yeah. And you know, this will shift us to another topic, but you know, you're passing bills. You guys were always passing bills to restrict voting. And then you look at the actual bill, not that the, not that the media ever does it. And you're like, oh, well it causes, you know, voter ID, that seems yeah. okay. And you yeah. know, uh, paper trail, that seems okay. Making sure we count correctly, that seems okay. But how much of your day is just dealing with that sort of nonsense? Uh, a fair amount. I mean, you know, but I tell my colleagues, I tell guys in the Freedom Caucus and, and, and colleagues on the Judiciary Committee, I tell them, look, if, if, if the press isn't saying something bad, the mainstream press, if the press isn't saying something bad about you, you're not doing anything any good. So just under, because some people come here and they think like, oh, they're, they're not used to, um, just the relentless attack you're going to get if you're making a difference. So um, it's it's a shock for some people. But my attitude is you have to embrace it because that's just the way it is. And it's not fun. It's not pleasant. And you just push back by telling the truth. I always tell tell people, I, I, I think we make this job as uh, being a member of Congress, we make it way too complicated. What did you tell the voters you were going to do when you ran? They elected you to do that. Go do it. 
make the argument, make the case, do it in as, as compelling and articulate way as you can, but go do that. And if you do that and the press calls you all kinds of names and you, like you said, you're racist and we're terrible and you're evil and all, okay, fine. We got it. It's not fun, but we've got to live with it. Just keep pressing on because you're doing what you told the voters you were going to do. And what I find is <clears throat> when you go back home, voters appreciate it. Even if they disagree with you every once in a while, they'll say, I just like the fact that you're fighting and you're doing what you said. I don't agree with all of it. I, I agree with most of it, but keep fighting. And that's what we're supposed to do, I think, as a member of Congress. So what do you make of the Republicans that I sort of at this point, you know, I'm, I'm kind of new to this side, right? So yeah, I, I, I maybe have fresh eyes on this. <laughs> but, you know, when I see a guy like Mitt Romney or, or someone like Liz Cheney, I, I call them pet Republicans because they go on MSNBC, they get pet on the head like they're doing anything. And then in essence, they're Democrats. Now that's fine if that's what they believe at this point. But, but when you guys get behind closed doors, like, are you, do you say to them, hey, is there any conservative principle? Is there any piece of the Republican Party that you guys are here to defend? Or is it just so that they're nice to you on cable news? Yeah, I, I just, I never get that. I never get why um, some some people want to go be the the Republican who attacks all the other Republicans. I mean, once in a while, you're going to have some squabbles. I get that. That's just normal course of business. But there's some Republicans who want to go on TV and just attack Republicans. And of course, CNN will love you for a day, love you for a minute, love you for a second. But as soon as you're not doing that, then they're going to turn around and start attacking you. And I, I, I never get like, don't you see that? Don't, 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 haven't you figured it just it doesn't take a genius to figure this out. Um, but yet you have some people who, who think their job is to be the darling of, of CNN and attack Republicans. I just never understood it. Yeah. So, all right. So one other thing on big tech and then, and then we'll move on to some of the other stuff. Are you worried at all? This is sort of an extension of the black pill question, but just that this stuff has become so big that no matter what you do, no matter what you do at this point, that do you think it's possible the ship has just sailed and the government no. cannot do anything? Look, I'm I, I'm concerned. I'm nervous. I mean, don't don't misunderstand. I think I think it just you know, obviously, with with the question you asked, you have that you share that same concern. But I mean, I always come back to like this is America. We're Americans. We get things done. We've solved problems. We've tackled all kinds of obstacles. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a, there's some people who make the case that you know it's just. Um, this this tough, rugged attitude is in our DNA. You know, you think about the people who started this place over in Europe. They said, you got to practice your faith a certain way. And they said, no, we don't. We'll get on the ship. We'll risk it all. We'll go to this place called America and we're going to do it the way we think we need to do it and the way the good Lord wants us to do it. And they did it. And we've overcome everything and become the greatest country ever. So I still feel like there's a ton of people who think like you and I do, who think like the folks I get to represent back in the fourth district of Ohio who are willing to say, no, we're not going to let it happen. We're going to fight. We're going to do what it takes in the right way to 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 prevail in the end for freedom, for liberty, for free speech. Um, so I, I guess I'm optimistic, and maybe maybe it's just because I'm you know like you, I'm American, and I I, I love the way we we conquer things and get things done. Well, I always tell people I'm a world weary optimist because I'm an optimist. I don't think I could do this yeah. if I wasn't. How could you say yeah. what you think for a living if if you were an optimist? But but I'm also a realist, so that that yep. gives you a little world weary. But to that point, though, if there if there are enough of us, or let's say there's more of us than them. What do we do about some of this election stuff? Because it seems to me, I, I played a clip on the show last week, which was a compilation of, of Democrats in 2018, including yeah. Kamala and Klobuchar. You probably saw it. Oh, yeah. It's about 15 Democrats talking about rigged elections, talking about voting machines that don't work, talking about hacking, all of the stuff that I'm pretty yeah. sure you and I could yeah. get blown up here on YouTube right this very moment 
for talking about it if we talk about it now. Right, right. Because, Dave, you, you, you forgot. Only Democrats are allowed to object to election results. We right, can't right. object. I always I have to make a yeah. note about you, you, that. You got, yeah. Yeah, we're not allowed to. I mean, yeah. uh, you think about the folks on this this uh, January 6th commission on the Democrat side. Benny Thompson objected to the election results in 2001 when President Bush won. Uh, Jamie Raskin, the lead impeachment manager in, the, in the impeachment round two, uh, he objected to Florida in, on January 6, 2017. Uh, Jim McGovern, Jim McGovern, on the day we had this this <laughs> the second impeachment uh, debate on the floor on January 13th, he brought up the, the week before January 6th, and he said Republicans objected to the will of people last week when they tried to overturn the will of people and they objected. So I got up to speak right after that, and I said, well, it, you know, I said – I, I said the, the the fine gentleman, the chairman of the rules committee from Massachusetts, Mr. McGovern, said that we we tried to overturn the will of the people. I said, but guess who was the first person to object on January 6, 2017? Guess who was the first person? <laughs> I got it an was idea the right, here. It was the right fine gentleman from Massachusetts who objected to Alabama. Think about that, Dave. Alabama President Trump won by like 28 points. He, he so he can object to Alabama. But Jim Jordan and Republicans can't object to Pennsylvania, where they unconstitutionally change their election law. I mean, think about this one fact: the election law and passed by the uh, by the legislature, as the Constitution requires, in Pennsylvania said election ends at eight o'clock Tuesday. You know, of course, election day is always on Tuesday, first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. It ends at eight o'clock Tuesday. Democrats sued in the partisan state supreme court, and the partisan state supreme court, controlled by Democrats, says no, we don't care what the what the legislature said. We don't care what the law says. Election day now ends at five o'clock Friday. They just extend the election for three days. So I'm not allowed to object to that. But Jim McGovern can object to Alabama when Donald Trump wins Alabama by 28 points. You got to be kidding me. So that, that, that's the part that it drives. And it, it's, uh, my guess is you spend a lot of your time doing the same thing I do, pointing out the freaking double standard with these people. But you have to do it because if not, they'll, they'll get away with it more. Let's not forget, I think his name is Josh Shapiro, the Secretary of State of Pennsylvania, yeah. who announced two days before the election that Biden was going to win Pennsylvania yeah. before the election. Yeah, the guy counting the votes announces two days before who's going to win. Maybe there's a problem with them. You know, call me crazy. Call, maybe, maybe, you know, but of course, Democrats like, oh, you guys are crazy. You're co Somehow we're the conspiracy theorists for just like just like raising a question about that. So, so, so what do you guys do on messaging then? Because I'm not kidding. I, I went through all, the nine bullet points in the last Texas bill, you know, on the election that yep. the HB3 that they were going crazy over. And it really, it was things like ID, it was a uh, paper trail, it was having cameras when you're counting and a couple very, very basic things. There was nothing about race in there. There was nothing right. to stop right. anyone from voting. There were actually things like actually extending benefits so employers yeah. could give more time for people to vote. Yeah. And yet it's called racist, it's repeated in Associated Press and on NBC and everything else. Like how do you beat that narrative? You know, I think, uh, well, again, you point out the facts, you do like like, like you did, but I also think yeah, like- I'm, I'm past that point. What know, else I, do you do I, besides I, that? I, I think I think Americans get it. So take this, take this, the, 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 the Texas Democrats. So first of all, the, America sees Texas Democrats getting on a private plane, uh, you know, taking their football and going home, not doing their job, coming to, you know, this is, this is emblematic of what the Democrats think. I'm going to not do my job and I'm going to go to Washington where I can say I'm a victim. And I mean, <laughs> that is like so Democrat, right? So yeah. they come to Washington, they spread COVID around to everybody else. They found a plane with no mask. They, they, they probably had to show. ID. So I think sometimes just the common sense of Americans, like these people are crazy. And I am convinced six months into this administration, the worst six months start to any administration in my lifetime. I'm convinced so many Americans are like, well, maybe, maybe, 
maybe I didn't bargain for this. Maybe this is, maybe I should have voted for President Trump. You know, some of these people who, for whatever, you know, reason decided not to vote for President Trump, who was such a great president, and, and, they, and they vote for Biden. I think they're like buyer's remorse big time. They're like, Filling up their gas tank. Whoa, this is costing a lot more. Price of eggs, bread, milk, lumber, price of TVs, price of, price of an airline ticket, price of a hotel. Everything's up and, and crime in the streets. And oh, 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 and oh, by the way, March was the highest month on record of illegal crossings in uh, at our southern border until April. And April was the highest month until May. And May was the highest month until June. That's what you call a trend in a very bad direction. So I think all that, they're like saying, uh, this, this is. So I think that that's how it gets through is like, Americans have common sense and they're figuring it out. Congressman, just to be clear, they're not kids in cages anymore. Yeah. They're, they're young people in fun centers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've been um, down. It's, well, it's since, I can t since I can tell you're not holding back today, you just mentioned uh, Biden. I mean, what, what do you think is really going on with Biden? Uh, he is not all there. Uh, that's my professional uh, diagnosis. Well, you know, look, uh, you know, it's, it's in some ways, it's a it's a big concern because as much as we talk about all the issues we've talked about, in the end, you know, our adversaries see the same thing that that we see. And, you know, you saw, oh, this is probably three months ago uh, when our secretary of state, Secretary Blinken, was in Alaska in Anchorage meeting with his Chinese counterpart. And, you know, we had our team on one side of the table and they had the Chinese on the other side. And the treatment that the, the Chinese gave to the Secretary of State of the United States of America. I'm like, I mean, it was it was embarrassing. And and then and frankly, you didn't see Secretary Blinken really push back. It's like if that happened, well, first of all, that would not happen in the Trump administration to Mike Pompeo. But if it did, if they were crazy enough to say those kind of things to Pompeo, I, I know I know Mike. He'd have got up like maybe he'd flip the table over, or he he would have got up, or he would have said with all due respect, that is entirely wrong. You don't talk to, I mean, it would have, there would have been pushback, real pushback, like you're supposed to do in real diplomacy when you come from a position of strength. And, and it didn't happen. And I'm like, now, now we see China, what they said to Japan just a couple days ago. And now we see what uh, Putin is saying about any type of things we're going to put in Europe. I'm like, that's what happens when you don't project strength. And when you have a commander in chief, you have a president of the United States who is behaving in the way President Biden is. And, it, and, it's, and it's dangerous for not only the United States and our security, but frankly, for our allies and, and how things work in the world. And that's, that's troubling, I think. And yeah, I mean, obviously you see it, and, and I think so many Americans do. Do you hear that from counterparts in other countries? Because my belief, although the media won't show it this way, my belief is that other, most, certainly Western European countries, but I think most of Europe, I think most of South America, I actually think most of the world, they want us to be strong. They, they want of, us to lead. Of course. I, of course they do. Now, they might go out because of the liberal press and, and after a, a world leader meets with President Trump, I'm, my guess is behind the scenes they're saying, hey, keep it up. Keep, you know, they appreciate it. Then they'll go out and they'll, 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 they'll do the, the liberal stuff and they'll say bad things about President Trump. But they appreciate it when America – I always say this. The world's a safer and better place when we lead. And you can't lead militarily and diplomatically unless you lead economically. And right now the Democrats are doing everything wrong. Think about Just think about economics. Democrats lock down states. Democrats spend like crazy. Democrats pay Americans not to work. And then for those who are working, they're getting ready to raise your taxes. Now, that's four of the dumbest ideas I've ever heard. 
But that's what they're doing economically. So that is going to hurt our chance to lead both diplomatically and militarily because the way this world operates is you better be the economic superpower if you're going to be the military. So they work together. And that's the part that scares me. So, um, yeah. But do, you think it's, do you think it's, ju- it's too much of a jump to say that in essence, the Democrats right now are basically just doing China's bidding? I mean, if you keep locking us down, keep wrecking our economy, keep ma- making sure that we don't go to meetings and put you know, a strong posture out there, uh, that we make it clear that China can basically do whatever they want, that the, the Chinese gotta be pretty happy. Plus there was some stuff on Hunter Biden's laptop, which I'm not yeah. sure if we're allowed to talk about that anymore that they might have on Biden. I mean, there's just a, it's just a whole mess. No, it, it, it is. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, I don't want to think it's that, you know, that we're that we got people in our government doing things, you know, in, in that way. I, I just think that you well, got, you know, I had, I had Kevin McCarthy in studio a couple of weeks ago and he yeah. said for sure that Eric Swalwell has been compromised by a Chinese spy. And he said, Nancy yeah. Pelosi knows it. Okay. It's, he's the minority leader of the house. Like, is he yeah. lying to me? No, but he gets briefings that I don't get. I mean, I was on the Intel committee for a few months back during the the, the first impeachment, so I'm I don't I don't get the, the briefings that that Leader McCarthy gets. So I mean, if if that's what Kevin said, I I believe him 100. Um, percent it, It's just I just think that we got so many members now and in, in, in you know members of Congress, members in the gov- people in the government who who are who are willing to do what the radical left says. It's just like they have taken over the Democrat Party. And you said it earlier, Dave, and I think this is so true. We now have the the bulk of one of the major political parties in our country who thinks the country's bad. I mean, like that. I, I mean, I've my, my background's in the sport of wrestling. I've been to Cuba twice. I've been to the what was then the Soviet Union. And I tell people, you go to places like that, you thank the good Lord you live here. I, I was I was joking. Was I, I said. I was in Moscow in February. Moscow in February, it's like 400 below zero, man. You thank the good Lord. And the food was terrible. And Cuba and, and was a warm Soviet. Parts. Yeah, and Cuba was a warm Soviet Union. And I always tell folks, it's not about the people. The Cuban people were great. The great athletes, the, 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 the Russian people. That, but when you have a system that doesn't, doesn't value freedom and, and rule of law and private property rights and bad things happen. So now we have a major political party in the country where you have a bunch of leftists who think our country, where we have all those things, private property rights, rule of law, freedom, liberty, they think all that's bad. And they want to and they want to put all their authoritarian baloney on the rest of us. That's the problem. And that's why we have to fight back in, 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 a, in a, the most compelling and articulate way that we can. So speaking of authoritarian baloney, you said to me right before we started this thing, because you know I'm out here in Cali, you said, how long are you going to stay out there? I mean, just in the last you know week or so, we suddenly have an indoor mask mandate again. It's done by one middle management bureaucrat. I have no idea where the mayor is. As you know, we're in the midst of the recall of the governor. Uh, thank the good Lord. But do you think that any of the, do you think this stuff is going to stop at any point? Or does the government now just have the idea of COVID so that at any point, any authoritarian in any of these blue states can just be like, yeah, we're locking you down again. Yeah, we're putting masks on you again. And God knows what comes down the pipe. Yeah, I, I, I think Democrats may try some of that. They may even try it. I mean, the speaker may try it here. They may put the mask mandate back on members of Congress, you know, even though probably, you know, just about every single member of Congress has probably already been vaccinated. Uh, but so, but I, I tend to I, I go back to the optimistic point that we were talking about earlier. I think Americans have had it. I know the folks I represent in the fourth district of Ohio, West Central, North Central Ohio, they're like, ain't no way. Ain't no way. 
I'm going back to all that baloney. They're going to do that to our business, our small business, our company. And I'm going to, there's no way Mike DeWine's going to make me wear a mask and do all that. It's just not going to, I just don't see it happening. And I think you're going to see state after state. And, and a lot of these governors saw that when uh, Governor DeSantis and some other governors stood up, took a principled position, and then it played out and looked like, you know, their economy was stronger. They didn't have any worse COVID. In many cases, they had better COVID numbers. I think a lot of these governors are like, you know what? DeSantis did it right. Um, we're going to do more of that. So I think the people of this country are going to say, time out. We're not going there again. I don't care what Dr. Fauci says. I don't care what they say. We're going to, we're smart people. We're Americans. We believe in liberty. We understand COVID is serious. We understand it's real, but we'll deal with it in the right way. We're not going to shut down our business. We're not going to wear masks. We're not going to shut down our schools. Can you just talk a little bit about what it was like sort of more towards the beginning of COVID when, when everything's breaking, nobody knows exactly what's going on, two weeks to flatten the curve. I'm sure you're there with the yeah. governor, you're there with some of the mayors, you're, with other Congress people, you're trying to figure out what to do. Like, I guess it's different in every state, but you know, is it the governor that's usually deciding this stuff or are they just handing it over to these middle management people? I mean, we had, you know, there's this famous woman here in LA, Sheila Cool, who voted. Yeah. She was the deciding vote three to two to close outdoor dining. And then what'd she do right after Winter, she right, voted? Right. I know. She goes out to eat in Santa Monica. Yeah, and it's sure like, Pia, those are the people we've really had it with because yeah. no one knew this woman beforehand. Yeah. No, I, I know that, that that double standard, Pelosi going to the salon when we couldn't, Gavin Newsom going to a five-star restaurant when he told us we couldn't have Thanksgiving with our family. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, drives Americans uh, crazy. But yeah, when it when it first started, there was, I think, some concern. But in many in our state, I was the governor working along with uh, the health director, uh, Dr. Acton, um, and they seem to be running everything. And our and, God bless our, our General Assembly. In the end, they finally, it took a while, but they finally pushed back and they passed legislation that said, if the governor is going to put in some emergency order, it's for a specified period of time. And then the General Assembly has to sign off on it if it's going to go any further. And the governor vetoed it and they overrode the governor's veto. So that's what we need more of in some of these states where governors were um, doing things and not following the constitution. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, Newsom gave himself unlimited emergency powers. I mean, he's he's Palpatine from Star Wars. I don't know if I yeah. can make a Star Wars <laughs> reference with you. I think I can, uh, but that that in essence is what he is. Uh, all right, let's let's talk about a couple other things. So you know, there's this January sixth commission. You know, most of my audience, I think, is probably where you are with this, which is that we've watched two years of riots in the streets everywhere, burning down our cities and attacking federal courthouses yeah. and all of that. And we had Democrats literally bailing people out and doing nothing yep. and lawlessness everywhere. But they've got their thing. They've got their insurrection and they want hearings and they want to spy on more people now because of it and censor more of us and yep. everything else. What, what's your take on, on just no, you're, the whole you're, thing? You're right. This is this is the this is impeachment round three. They 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 they're obsessed with going after President Trump. They're going to do it again. Uh, there's a fundamental question that needs to be answered, but my guess is Democrats on the committee won't address it. And and that is why was there not a proper security presence and posture that day? Because that's the speaker's responsibility. My guess is they don't want to go there. There was all kinds of information. They, they knew there was going to be a big rally. It wasn't any secret. President Trump was having a rally. Uh, why not have the proper security presence here for an important day like January 6th where you where you count and certify uh, the, the the electoral uh, votes from each state? So I, I don't know that they'll go there. I think this is driven by the fact that we talked earlier, what else are they going to talk about? 
they're going to talk about crime going up in every major urban area. They're going to talk about the price of everything going up on, on every single good and service you can think of. They're going to talk about the, the, the border situation. So uh, they're going to talk about they're getting ready to raise taxes. They're going to talk about, I mean, they're going to talk about the fact they're going to keep spending, 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 driving up prices even higher. I mean, what else do they got to talk about? So they're going to do this and they're going to attack the president because that's all they got. I mean, what is it? CNN's ratings now are down so far because, because, and, and yet they're still talking about Trump, but they can't do it in the same way they did before. So they've been obsessed with going after President Trump. Um, and here they go again, because that, that's the only thing they got in their playbook. Congressman, you forget that Joe Biden tweeted out that the average American saved 16 cents on their July 4th cookout. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's yeah, pretty good. Uh, Six, 16 cents. Wait, you know, you've mentioned the second impeachment a couple of times. Just real quick on that. Did anyone think that it was legit. I mean, even, I know how you felt about it, but did any of the Democrats at that point, there was no support for it in the country except in the most radical yeah, left awesome. quarters. Did anyone think it was legit? Well, the, the, the hard lefties in the Congress, sure, just like the hard lefties around the country, but you're right, the rest of the country was like, what are you doing? He's not, he's he's leaving office in, in, in a few days and the trial actually took place after he was out of office. So um, yeah, it, but that's, when you, when it's an obsession, I mean, it it was it's truly an obsession with these folks. And I, you know, I remember when I first heard the term Trump derangement syndrome, I'm like, wow, well, you know, whatever. But you you've I'm sure you've been around people who are like, no, it's a it's a thing. People just get like consumed with being against President Trump. And it's it's sometimes it's tough in families. You know, we got a we got relatives who are like most of them are most of them are not. Most of them love President Trump. They're like me. They love what he did for the country. But others are like, whoa. And you're just like, oh, we never saw that coming. But some people it just hits them and they can't they can't shake it loose. Yeah. So on the Trump front, I mean, you you obviously were and are one of his big allies. Um, was there anything that you tried to get him to soften on or change on or message differently that he didn't that you think might have hurt him? No. I mean, well. When, when President Trump first came into office, Paul Ryan put, put forward the Obamacare repeal legislation. Terrible, terrible, terrible approach, and I thought the wrong bill. We should have just done what we had passed back in the end of 2016, what, what we campaigned on. We should have just passed that. That's what Mitch McConnell wanted to do because he had the votes in the Senate to pass that. We passed it in the House. Should have brought up the same bill. Paul Ryan decides, no, we're going to do this three-bucket approach. We're going to do part of it here. Then we're going to do some of it through regulatory reform. I'm like, what are you talking about? So I opposed the Ryan um, healthcare repeal because it was bad. It wasn't what we told the voters we were going to do. And President Trump was new to office. He was actually he actually supported what what Paul was doing. And then once that went through, then Mark Meadows went to work, and we got another bill that passed passed the House that was much more consistent with what we told the voters we were going to do. And unfortunately, we all remember when John McCain gave the thumbs down and it didn't pass. But I think that's through that process where we were actually opposed to. What what the speaker was doing and what the White House was supporting, I think President Trump learned like, oh, you can count on these guys. They're going to stick with stuff. And then Mark and I just became we just got to know the president and we so appreciated his doing what he said he would do. I mean, that, that's what the Freedom Caucus is. Our mission statement, we talk about doing what we told the voters we we're going to do. That's what President Trump did. And we went to bat for him because he did it. I mean, you, just think about this. Every single presidential candidate, both Republican and Democrat, over the last several cycles, for, for most of my lifetime, have said, if you elect me, I will put the embassy in Jerusalem. They've all said it. They get elected, and then they come up with a bazillion reasons why they can't do what they said they were going to do, and frankly, what they were elected to do. President Trump gets elected, and he goes, I'm going to do it. All the State Department people said, well, Mr. President, you better not do that. You know, the other concerns are. He goes, I told the people I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. 
He did it and it worked out fine. So that that is what I so appreciated about this guy. And we need a lot more, frankly, like him willing to do what they said in elective office. Yeah, so you've mentioned DeSantis a couple of times. I mean, obviously you like him. One of the things that I've been saying is, look, if DeSantis runs, to me, we need some young blood. I think he's only 40, 42 or 43. Yeah. I mean, it would be a generational shift. And that maybe Trump acts as the bodyguard. He still takes all the hits. He deals with all the media nonsense. But then it allows for just a change because we act, it, we need a change, if nothing else, than just for age and just that we need to move forward. Or so, you know, that sort of sounds, uh, it almost sounds pie in the sky, but we just need, we just need some new blood. Uh, but you, it sounds like you want Trump either way, even no, though I you want, like DeSantis. Oh yeah, I want President Trump. I, I, I think, first of all, I, I think, again, as I've said it a, a few times, no one was, no one has proven that they can take as much heat and as much intensity as President Trump took and still get so much done, still do so much of what he said. So I definitely am for President Trump. I want him to run, that's who I'm for. If he chooses not to, you're right. Ron DeSantis <coughs> would be great. Ron DeSantis, there was nine of us who started the Freedom Caucus. Ron was one of the nine. Ron has been rock solid. I mean, what he's done in Florida, sticking to his guns. And plus, I always tell po folks, it doesn't, it never hurts to be smart. Ron DeSantis <laughs> is a smart yeah, guy. Yeah, He's yeah. a smart guy. It never hurts to have smart people. And if you got smart people who are principled, who are in positions of leadership, even better. So I think that's who President Trump is. I think that's who Ron DeSantis is. But I want President Trump to run. I am 100% for him. I think he's our best candidate. But if he doesn't, Ron DeSantis would be great. Yeah. What, what else has been on your mind? I'm going to give you a, a general one here. Like, Just what else is sort of running through your mind as you're doing your job these days and all the this craziness? Uh, Fauci knew on January 31st, 2020, at 10.32 p.m., he gets an email from Dr. Christian Anderson, one of these virologists who had received our tax dollar, your tax money, my constituents' tax money, received our tax dollars, doing research. He sends an email to Dr. Fauci, 10.32, January 31st, 2020, and he says, the virus looks engineered. It's not consistent with evolutionary theory. So Anthony Fauci's on notice clear back at the, at the early, in the first month of 2020, that this virus came from a lab most likely, looks engineered, not consistent with evolutionary theory, didn't jump from an animal to a human. He's on notice. And what does he do over the next year? Downplays that, tells us something different. And so to me, that, that is like, you're the highest paid official in our government. You're the, you're on every talk show, you're t covered every day, you're Time Magazine person of the, you know, the, the, the greatest person on the planet for the last yeah. thousand years, whatever they gave him. And, the, yeah. and, and like, and you're misleading the American people. And there's things that happen after that, emails that happen that, that, that reinforce that. I think he knew early on, by, by February 1st, the next day, I think he knew there's a lethal virus on the loose. There's been gain-of-function research funded at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. That gain-of-function research didn't go through the P3 framework, the oversight framework. And I got an email from one of the virologists who's an expert in this area who says the virus looks engineered, not consistent with evolutionary theory. He knew all that on February 1st. Do, do, you think he's, do you think he's actually in trouble for lying to Congress? I mean, that's what Rand Paul was really trying to get him on in the last couple of days, in effect saying, hey, you said that, that our, the NIH funding did not have anything to do with this virus being engineered in the Wuhan lab. And now it kind of looks like it is. He was, his answer was very confusing because he basically was sort of yeah. saying, well, we funded some stuff, not necessarily that study. And right. you know, he gave and, a lot of bureaucratic uh, doublespeak. 
and a sub-grant through EcoHealth, blah, blah, blah. It's like it was American tax dollars going through EcoHealth, going to the to the, to the Wuhan, uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology. So look at the email he sent. He gets that 1032 email from Dr. Christian Anderson saying, looks engineer, not consistent with evolutionary theory. Two hours later, 1238 in the morning, he sends an email to his top assistant, Dr. Auschenklaus, who's worked for him for like 16 years. He sends him an email that says, Hugh, Keep your phone on. Important task you will have to do. Read this paper that I've attached. It was like, you know, the house on fire kind of email. And that the, the paper he attached was an article written by Dr. Xi, the so-called bat woman in, in, in Wuhan, China, where they're talking about gain-of-function research. So Dr. Auschenklaus, 11 hours later, gets back to Dr. Fauci, 11.47 a.m. the next morning, uh, February 1st, gets back and says, Gain-of-function research was happened. It didn't go through the P3 framework. I will look to see if we have any ties to it. In other words, I'll look to see if, if what we need to do to cover our backside. That, that to me, tells a lot. And now, again, maybe I'm misinterpreting. I'm just reading the emails. Maybe I'm wrong about the emails. But Dr. Fauci, he doesn't want to come testify in front of us anymore, the Select Committee on the Coronavirus. Democrats won't invite him in. We invited him in. Republicans wouldn't come. He goes to every TV show, testifies, he's testified, I think, like 18 times in front of Congress, but won't come in front of us again. I'd love to question him one more time. Right. And then, of course, there's that email from, I think it was February or March, where he just has a friend emailing him about, you know, she's going on vacation and does she have to wear masks? And he basically says, yeah. well, if you buy the mask at a store, it doesn't work anyway. Yeah. I mean, the misinformation, I mean, think about that. They're, they're going after us for misinformation or for other people for misinformation, but the misinformation we've received from the government and from the, from the mainstream press on so many issues, as you pointed out earlier, um, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. All right. On that, on that note, and that was a professional cough you did right there. You didn't, you didn't do it in the hand. It went this way. Um, on that note, if, if people want to pay attention to the big tech stuff that you're working on, yeah. uh, where can we send them? Because I think people are just like, hey, I want to help somehow. It yeah, doesn't even mean with dollars. I just want to know what's going on and what bills I should support and that sort of thing. Yeah, we, uh, go to the, the Judiciary uh, Committee website. Um, uh, we will have information up there. We have the principles up there. We're trying to put them in bill form. We want to, we want to get there soon. Um, but go to the judiciary website. I don't know that. I mean, our our media people and our staff know what that is. But um, there's a lot of dots. I, we all yeah, the government exactly. websites. Yeah, yeah. They they don't look that good, frankly. Yeah, that that would be the, you want to do your major job. Yeah. You get them to rehash, redo all of those government websites. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Congressman, I appreciate I appreciate your time. And, I've had uh, a good time. Thanks. Keep up the good fight. We need well, we need too. to fix You're, some of this stuff. You 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 keep it up, I and mean, we need we need defenders like like you out there talking about protecting Americans' liberties and specifically the First Amendment. So God bless you. I got nothing better to do than save the world. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget, you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubinreport.locals.com.